Life as we know is just a bowl of cherries. We hear that enough over the course of a lifetime from so many people and it's so often said and it's been around for ages that little saying or some version of it that makes you wonder if somehow or other that phrase, that expression doesn't come somewhere out of the Bible. It, it doesn't but it feels like it should, you know. The book of Proverbs, thus saith the Lord, life shall be a bowl of cherries and if you don't like it, um, oh, whatever, I don't know. Anyway, it's a very common expression that we use a lot in our lives. Life is just a big bowl of cherries. That philosophy of life that is kind of very cheery and positive and optimistic, you know, that's ex captured by that phrase, life is a bowl of cherries, is, is one that's been especially prevalent, I guess, in, in, in a lot of societies and through the ages. It's something that keeps coming around and around, and especially for people who live in reasonably prosperous times where society is stable and things are pretty good and it's been that way for a long time. It's really easy to come to believe that that the stability and prosperity and good things are what life is supposed to be. This is the way it should be. Life is meant to be cheery. Life is meant to be good. Life is meant to be spent uh, enjoying the things around us, the things of the earth. And that's the way it should be. And then, of course, the people who subscribe to that kind of philosophy, maybe some of us, maybe many of us, at least sort of unconsciously, we think that. When things don't go well, when those cherries turn out to have a fair amount of pits within them, well, then we are left with the big question of what's gone wrong? You know, if life is supposed to be a bowl of cherries, if life is supposed to be a bed of roses, if life is supposed to be good and stable and prosperous and fun and, and cheery and nice, how come then we suffer? How come things have gone wrong? There's two reasons that are given. One is, well, it's because we've screwed up. We've gotten things wrong. We've made bad choices. And there's consequences to be paid. But more often the response has been, well, things don't go well because God is mad at you. Because God is punishing you. Because God is angry. Because life should be a bowl of cherries when it's not then God is upset and he's getting back at us. A vengeful God, a retributive God, a God who punishes his bad sons and daughters. Well, Peter in the gospel is one who clearly subscribes to the bowl of cherries philosophy of life. Peter, perhaps because he lived in a pretty stable time, yes, the Romans were there and they were controlling the politics of the country, but up in, up in Galilee, you know, the fields had nice wheat growing in them. And he and his brother and his cousins and friends, they had this beautiful lake filled with lots of fish, so there was plenty to eat, good protein out there. They could support their families, and thus it had ever been, it seemed like, and thus it ever shall be, it seemed like. So it was probably easy for Peter to believe that life really should be a bowl of cherries or at least a lake full of fish or land with good wheat growing in it for the bread. Life should be stable. Life should be good. Life should be, you know, a bed of roses in a way. And so Peter, subscribing to this philosophy, 
You know, he's, he's really, really not tuned in to Jesus when Jesus suddenly, in the 13th chapter of Matthew's gospel, says to his, his little tribe of disciples, apostles, look, we're going to Jerusalem now, and it's not going to be all big bowl of cherries down there. To the contrary, it's going to be really quite awful. More than the pits, it's going to be almost hell on earth for us, and especially for me. Because once I get down to Jerusalem, you know there's a lot of bad people in this world and a lot of them there are going to persecute me, they're going to arrest me, they're going to spit on me, they're going to scourge me, and when all is said and done, they're going to hang me on a cross on a hot Friday afternoon and leave me to die. The most awful death imaginable. And Peter, upon hearing this, is incapable of getting it. Because he's still in the bowl of cherries mentality. If such a thing were to happen, God forbid, as he says, then it must be because God is punishing Jesus. And that's impossible. Because Jesus is such a good guy. Because Jesus is so wonderful, because Jesus is so loving, how could this loving, good, wonderful person also be someone who's being punished by God, which is the only explanation he has for the kind of treatment Jesus is predicting about himself. If life is supposed to be a bowl of cherries, then what Jesus is talking about doesn't make any sense. He's done nothing to deserve this kind of punishment from God. And it is not what Peter has imagined at all for his future or the future of Jesus. Once we get to Jerusalem in his mind, you know, we're going to build up our little army and we're going to have this wonderful revolution and we're going to topple the Romans and we'll take control of Jerusalem and the kingdom of God will come and it'll all be wonderful. And to this, Jesus uses only once in the Gospels a word that he would never use for anyone. In anger, he turns to Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan! Satan! Peter is left completely flummoxed by this. How can Jesus call me Satan? But it's precisely because Peter is tempting Jesus into the bowl of cherries mentality, which is not God's mentality. Jesus has been trying to teach these apostles of his for whatever it's been, two, three years now, living with them, eating with them, teaching them, showing them away, showing them how to pray, showing them how God thinks about things, how God loves us. He's been trying to show these fellows that life is not a bowl of cherries. That's not necessarily God's will. Life is difficult. Especially for the poor and the oppressed and the sinners of this world. Life, people who make bad choices. Life is really hard. Even people who make good choices. Even people who've lived perfectly good lives like himself. Crosses come. 
Burdens come. Sufferings come. And what he's been trying to teach them is that our expectation that life should be just peachy is not what God necessarily has in mind for us. What he teaches them is God teaches us a way to handle the crosses of life, no matter how big or small they are, so that in the end, they become not burdensome dead wood, heavy upon our shoulders, burying us under their weight, leading us to despair, leading us to shake our fists at God and say, why are you doing this to me? But rather turning that hard, heavy, dark, dead wood of the cross into a tree of life that gives life to others and offers them shade and fruit and all that they need for real life. Life of the spirit, life of the heart, life of love that never ends. And what's the way you do that? This is the most important thing Jesus has been trying to teach them. You change the crosses of life, the dead crosses of life, into trees of life for others through self-giving love. By giving of yourself, by pouring yourself out, <clears throat> by accepting the cross, but also accepting it with love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness for the others who are carrying such crosses and even more for those who are causing those crosses. Those who afflict us. Those who persecute us. Those who kick us around. Those who make life difficult for us. Those even who kill us unjustly. Forgiveness. Compassion. Mercy. That's how the crosses of life, no matter how big or small, no matter how heavy, how burdensome, are turned into trees of life. And it's precisely this that is Jesus' vocation. Jesus' vocation is not to go to Jerusalem and wave a magic divine wand and turn the world into the kingdom of God. Jesus' vocation is to go to Jerusalem and suffer with us, experience life's difficulties with us, and show us how to turn those burdens, those difficulties, those sufferings into something that is grace-filled for us, for our neighbors, and really for the world. And it is because of this that he must so forcefully reject the philosophy of life of goofy old Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Because you are tempting me. You are an obstacle to me. You are pulling away from my vocation. You are teaching a way that is not God's way. And Peter, of course, is, must have been absolutely dumbstruck by Jesus' response to him because mentally and spiritually he was still caught up 
and his bowl of cherries mentality about life. And what Jesus tries to teach Peter, of course, in words on that day, he will eventually teach him through his deeds when he gets to Jerusalem. This too will leave Peter flummoxed as well as the other apostles and disciples. But eventually they'll get it. Eventually they'll come to understand that what Jesus says and does about the crosses of life is the heart of his gospel, the heart of his teaching, the heart of God really. It is the way to bring life to our otherwise burdensome and suffering-filled world. Jesus does not teach ever that life is supposed to be a bowl of cherries, that life is just a big bed of roses, that life is just all cheeriness and wonderfulness, an ever-present happy meal at which we partake. Jesus teaches instead that the crosses of life that we all have and we all bear, some bigger than others, some small, some difficult to bear, some not so difficult, some which bear us down and even lead us into the realm of death. Each and every one of these crosses, like his own, through the gift of self-giving, pouring out kind of love, through compassion, forgiveness, mercy, becomes something that lives and gives life and gives a fruit that leads us to eternal life, life that never ends. So this is the challenge of today's gospel reading for all of us, not just for Peter. The challenge for us to keep our eyes open to be realistic about life and its difficulties, but also to see in the crosses that we bear the promise of life, the promise of Easter, the promise of the kingdom of God. For it is in living our crosses as Jesus lived that this world is saved.